Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is nothing. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. Alright, I'm your coach, Thomas Mariani, guys. And it's the bottom of the ninth. The bases are loaded. Everything's terrible for us right now. But I'll tell you what. We're gonna go out there. We're gonna win. And we're gonna do it. Because you know why? Because Mickey loves you. And you're gonna eat lightning. You're gonna crap thunder. And you're gonna be the biggest champions of the world. I mean, hey, you know. I mean, I, uh... You know, I just thought, yeah. I'm, uh... I'm Adam Thomas, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, Sylvester Stallone, our guest for the evening, though. That's not him. It's shocking. Yeah, yeah no, I know. <laughs> it was that good of an impression, I know. And But our real guest for this intro, at the very least, is our guest from our fantasy films episode we just did last week, Dan Chambos. Dan, how are you doing? I have the power! Technically, yes, though. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you do, for uh, the sake of our <laughs> intro here. You do definitely have that. Um, but uh, for our topic this time... We are doing in honor of Creed 2's coming out the very week we're releasing this, Sports Films. Which, Adam, we talked about this off mic. Despite not necessarily being a big sports person, I love a good sports movie. I'm 100% the same way. I mean, I've had, you know, a year here and there where I'm really into, like, whatever local team. Because I'm a phony sports girl. But I love a good sports movie. See, I had that when I was a kid. And it was the year the Buccaneers actually won the Super Bowl. And wow. they've disappointed me ever since, and I'm not a sports person. <laughs> Brother, I got the Lions. Oh, that's true. Well, uh, I, from yeah. what I hear, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. But uh, are you a big fan of sports movies, Dan? Heck yeah, I've seen a lot of them. All right. My dad's a big sports guy. I've seen all the films from there, and I still continue to watch the new ones when they come out. I, I really like sports films. I don't know why, but I'll watch them. I love them. I like the documentaries, too, that they got on some of those guys. You're the perfect person, then, for our intro little bit here, which for those of you who might be listening for the first time, basically each week, Adam and I have two movies that the other isn't aware of that fit either the good or bad quality for our topic, in this case, sports films. Um, I've got the two good this time. Adam has the two bad. And usually each of us would select a number between 1 and 10, to guess which might be the closest to the other person's two numbers they've assigned for their movies. But when we have a guest like Dan, he picks a number between 1 and 10 for each of our choices. So for my two good movies, Dan, number between 1 and 10. 7. All right. At number 9, I had the seminal, beloved sports film from 1984, The Natural. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I love that movie. And I have never seen it. Oh my god, I love that. I love it so much. <laughs> and at number one, speaking of Sundance, I had Butch 
at number one with uh, Paul Newman starring in Slapshot. Oh, God, that's another good one. Holy shit. Honestly, man, not too I expected. No, I also haven't seen Slapshot, but I should Eh, at some point. eh, eh. Oh, man. The brothers. (laughs) But but now, Dan, for Adam's two bad picks, number between one and ten. Three. All right. Hey, me and the number two, you know, I had a Rocky Five. Ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and then at number nine, I had, uh, you know, Driven. Oh, you went full on Stallone. Double Dude, what's Stallone, you know? I love that part in Driven where they're racing. No, you the don't. No, you don't. <laughs> yes, I do. Nobody does. I do. I also <laughs> well, like Days of Thunder. That movie is awesome. Yeah, shut up. Well, but, thank you, uh, Dan, for participating in our last episode in this intro here. <laughs> uh, we're glad that you came, unlike what Adam might be saying. Uh, we had a lot of fun with you. Thanks. I had fun, too. <laughs> yes. But now, we have to go out and train. We gotta do ourselves a little sports montage and get into our double feature right after this. Catch it! Someday when people look at me, they'll say, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was. TriStar Pictures presents the story of a father... And a son. You got a gift, Roy, but it's not enough. Of love. He means the world to me. And desire. I'm not waiting for true love to come along, Roy. A champion. A Roy Hobbs comes along once, maybe twice in everybody's lifetime. And his destiny. With or without the records, they'll remember you. Robert Redford in The Natural. And we are back. We're still in the locker room, just hitting them showers. Yep, that's my favorite place to be. But we've uh, watched our double feature, and uh, let's start with the first one, The Natural, our good one, which uh, came out May 11th, 1984, directed by Barry Levinson. Only his second feature, I found out, which is very interesting to me. Hmm. Yeah, no kidding. His only other feature was Diner, which has some of this Americana stuff that's in this movie, but also is just like a pretty simple, like, talky character dramedy. Which is a yeah. complete step up from to this. Um, I think I've always seen Diner once. It did not leave much of an impression. Now, really, the only honest. reason to watch is like, oh fuck, everyone's in this movie, right? Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, there's but, a little bit of that in this one too. Well, yeah, that's true. There's there's definitely a great uh, ensemble cast. But I was talking to Adam actually after we did our picks, and I mentioned to him that a main reason I kind of wanted to watch this was because I've gotten a bit of a Robert Redford bug after seeing him in uh, Old Man and the Gun, which he's tremendous in. And if that's his last movie, as his, the rumor is going around, great way to go out, dude. But this is a wonderful performance from him. It's not, obviously, this is pretty far into his career. He had started really in like the 50s and 60s, became a star. But this is sort of one of his centerpiece movies in terms of like the image of Robert Redford. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um when Robert Redford is ever mentioned when I'm talking to somebody, I almost automatically think of this one in, like, Butch Cassidy. The original source material of the novel was based on Arthurian legend, which you can kind of track some of the similarities. And what I like about mm-hmm. The Natural is it feels like the perfect fantasy of Americana. It's very much painting in broad strokes some of the stuff, like, on paper, I could see being kind of hokey and lame. But the way that the direction from Barry Levinson and the entire cast perform it, it becomes something else. It becomes something elevated to, like, this is the peak of what you want a sports movie to kind of be. This All the, like, raw passion 
and the endearment you have from the characters and the excitement when things, you know, go off when you have the big games, it, it fits all the perfect points that you want a sports movie to hit. Oh, yeah, definitely, dude. It's it's not necessarily even really an underdog story because he was never really an underdog. He's always been, you know, as the title calls it, he's a natural. He's always been good. It's just his coming back into the fold and not wanting to be in the really in the spotlight anymore like he once wanted before, you know, what happened happened. Now he just wants to play baseball. It's all about the game for him now. Though, can we talk a bit about the whole origin point, the the cold open of the movie of sorts, where you get, like, his whole backstory, and Barbara Hershey as some sort of, like, werewolf-killing freaking sports Like a serial killer. killer. Yes, which apparently was based on a true story, but she specifically uses silver bullets, so I'm just like, are these guys werewolves? Is Rob Redford a werewolf? (laughs) I know. Well, even in the beginning when they mentioned it's silver bullets, I... Because I haven't seen this in I don't know how long. It's been a long, long time. So I forgot a lot of it. And I completely forgot the cold open. And so even to the point where they mentioned Silver Bullets, I'm like, is someone going to say werewolves? Is someone going to bring that up? Like, I was fully expecting it for some reason. It'd be totally out of place in this movie. But it just almost seemed like that's the route they were going to go. Wouldn't it be pretty amazing if the reason he's bleeding at the end and during the big game is he's transforming into a werewolf in front of everyone? That would be insane. That would be this the best like... movie ever. <laughs> but it's interesting because I didn't I hadn't seen this movie prior, and most of what I knew from this movie was really the score, which has been used and parody countless times. Randy Newman's score, listening to it, immediately I'm just like, oh man, this is why they got him for like Toy Story and all the Pixar movies, because it builds such whimsy. It's Mm -hmm. the height of whimsy as a score, and also the Americana angle of it. This is what almost like any immigrant coming in to America would think, like, the music is all around, as opposed to whatever shit we actually have going. Yes, I love America. You're the music. But it's so good. The score is so good. And the thing is, they don't even try to hide it. Like, as soon as you hear the notes start when he's playing, you know he's about to crack one out there. There's no secret. It comes before he even goes to, you know, swing the bat. Like, oh, shit, he's going to light it up. Like, it's amazing. And it doesn't matter, because it just works so good. When it swells, you just get all tingly. Like you said, this is just perfect sports film, because of the score, and because, you know, it's it's America's pastime, it's baseball. I mean, you can't get much more patriotic and American than baseball. Right, exactly. And also, the whole Americana aspect of it, especially, there are certain points where I was watching this, and I'm just like, was this an inspiration for, like, a Michael Bay, in terms of, like, the over-the-top Americana aspects of it. Like, there are certain shots, especially when it's all Auburn in, Mm. like, certain sequences, and there's, like, fields of wheat and all this other stuff, and it's just the perfect sun hitting. Like, that point, probably the best shot in the whole movie that's like, wow, this is amazing, when you see Glenn Close get up in the stands and the sunlight is around her, and it's like a halo. They literally made it so it could be, like, a halo around her head. Gorgeous, phenomenal shot. Oh, fantastic. And I'm convinced Michael Bay got his first boner watching that scene. (laughs) I agree with you. There's just less explosions and robots in this. True. I remember it was one of my dad's favorites. And to the point when I was a kid and my mom got me uh, like a T-ball, backyard T-ball set, I remember even taking a Sharpie and writing Wonder Boy and drawing a lightning bolt on my T-ball bat. You leaned in on that bat and said, what is the secret of your powers? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Even to the point to where I remember as a kid, because I was also a wrestling fan, and Bret Hart's big thing is the best there was, the best there ever will be. I knew even then, I was like, oh yeah, that's from The Natural. 
like that's how much this movie stuck with me. And apparently not that much though. If I completely forgot the cold open and how unceremoniously they kill Michael Madsen. Yeah. And that was also something where I'm like one watching. I'm just like, Oh my God, it's Michael Madsen caring. I have to treasure this moment. Cause you don't get a lot of those. And and then also the way that he does just like going through the fucking wall and you're like, Oh, okay. This is like a silly moment. He's probably going to be out of the game for a bit. He's dead. <laughs> He's completely dead. <laughs> and I honestly think maybe there was, I mean, the movie's already long enough. It's over two hours, but I think that maybe there was some missed potential there to where, you know, the young guy who's like the hothead and then the older guy comes in and they play the same position and the same girl is kind of into both of them. I think, mm-hmm. I think they kind of could have went somewhere with that, but that would have just been even more padding on this movie. So maybe it's not necessary, but I think they could have done it some a little more. No, what I like about elements like that, the sort of harsh, hurtful moments that happen like that, or Barbara Hershey, like shooting him and all this other stuff, is that this movie sort of has a tract where you're kind of figure like, oh, he's probably going to end up winning the game at the end of it, but it adds more genuine stakes to what's going on where it's like, he might win the game, but he'll fucking die maybe doing it. <laughs> like, this movie does those moments so that you have that tension of like even if he wins the game this could kill him and we don't want that to happen to the point where i even remember when we watched this in school too that the teacher even asked us if we thought at the end he was dead or not just because the way it was lit and glenn close standing on the hill backlit and him playing ball with his son like he his dad did with him right like is he dead i don't think he is but i mean i could see where some people might interpret that right yes but especially the way it's like in this sort of giant wheat field and it's all golden and it's all just like, it seems like a heaven. But, but at the same time, we got to talk about more of this cast because this cast is so sure. stacked. Uh, we mentioned Redford, of course, who's great. Honestly, watching this just made me realize like, man, if they had made a Superman movie in like the sixties, he would have been the perfect choice. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he just, he exudes just Americana and even the way he dresses, the way he talks, the way his hair is combed, everything at this time. I don't think there was a better looking man than Robert Redford. He was, he was just so good looking and he had such charm and swagger. Um, I was watching it earlier and my wife was watching it with me and she's like looking at him. She's like, that's like Brad Pitt now. Yeah, I mean, you could tell that Brad Pitt when he came onto the scene was trying to kind of be a, <laughs> a Robert Redford. Redford. Yeah, maybe even more so even now at his age. But I see it. Yeah, no, he, he's so good. And it's so funny that he didn't get nominated for this. No, the only actor nominated was Glenn Close, who, to be fair, deservedly. Oh, she's so great. And it's, like I said, it's not a role, really, that on paper, it seems kind of thin. You know, former Flame, who is trying to, like, you know, help the... Fuck, she does such a great job with it. She's so sweet mm-hmm. and endearing, and her smile just lights up the room. Like, the scene where they're in the uh, diner, cafe, sweet shop, whatever you want to call it, and they're talking. Yeah. And, dude, you're just like, you fall in love with her. She's so good in this. And I love, too, that anytime they're together... They are pretty much 100% honest with each other when they talk to each other. Yeah. There's not really, they don't hide anything. They're just open with each other. And I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. The only time they break that is where she's kind of being coy about the whole father thing about her son. But well, still. Well, she tries to tell him a couple times. And every time she tries, you know, they get interrupted or something. And it becomes not the right time. The first scene where I started getting a bit choked up is where she talks about just, my boy's father lives in New York. And it's important to have a father around. And he's like, makes all the difference i'm like because oh, his dad just, there's there's a lot of oh, moments no. <laughs> during the last 30 minutes or so there's a lot of those moments oh um, absolutely that worked pretty well um but i mean also you got the whole team where you've got wilford brimley as the 
coach Pop Fisher amazing. Oh, totally what you would figure. Richard Farnsworth and him have such great interaction together. When Wilford Brimley's humming or whistling and he's guessing the song and then he'll hum it and he guesses the song. I mean, I thought that was so funny and so well done. You could tell these guys have been together forever to the point where Richard Farnsworth has a genuine, like, care and concern for Wilford Brimley. Right. Yeah, they build a lot about the relationship between all the characters, especially in the baseball team. Um, mm-hmm. And particularly George uh, Woloski plays the, the bat boy, Bobby. Um, yes. Never did a movie before or after this. But I'll be goddamn if I didn't see that chubby little kid's face and just find out, oh, that's adorable. And then I, especially when he hands him that fucking bat, that's where I really just fucking broke down. Like, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> dude, he's so happy and proud. And way to go Robert Redford for being like, fuck it, all right, I'll use your bat. And they just share that look where it's just like, mm-hmm. all right, I'll do it. And it's all unspoken and it's so wonderful. There's a lot of great unspoken like nods between people that say so much in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, God, how young was uh, Kim Basinger in this movie? Oh, my God. Extreme. This might be. Is this like her first It's got to be one of her first roles, right? It's got to be one of, if not. Right, yeah. Like, it, clearly, it, we're not about that much research here. <laughs> but, uh, no, not quite. Not quite. Um, but, like, um, her and her chemistry with Redford really works. And even, like, we should talk more about the villains, of course. You got Robert Prosky, perfect, as the evil judge who is the co-owner of the team. Who's trying to get the shares out of Pop. I always think of him as such like a sweet old man. Like everything he's in, he's usually like the sweeter, sort of down in his luck older man. And this, you're like, dude, fuck this guy. Well, to be fair, <laughs> it's it's not just that. I either think of him as that sweet old man because mostly of like Gremlins Two, for example, where he plays the right, Dracula host. Exactly. There's that, but he's also very capable of being the slimy guy with the cigar. Because like the year before this, he did um, Christine where he's playing a similar role. Just like, hey, kid, oh, what are you doing around here? Yep. Yeah. And he was, I mean, he's a great character actor, man. Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. He was really good. Last Action Hero, I remember him that. He right. He was the, like, the attendant. And I really liked him in that. He was a sweetheart in that, too. Yeah, he's really good in this. You know what? His character, the way he dresses, the way he likes, you know, his whole dialogue about the dark and the way his office is, tell me he didn't feel like he could have been in a Coen Brothers movie. He feels very Coen Brothers as he also feels very much like this great sort of Satan figure who's constantly telling right. Robert Redford to like, you know, you could do this, you could do that. And that scene where you're talking about where he comes in, it's all completely darkly lit. And he's like, I, I learned mm. to love the dark because I was so afraid of it as a child. Such a great yeah, you scene. You swallow me like water. You're like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's dark as fuck. And then him and uh, uh, the Cyclops, I can't think of his name either. Both of them felt like they came right out of, like, Oh Brother, Art Thou, or something like that. Are you I mean, talking about Darren so McGavin? Good. Yeah, Gus. The, the yeah, dad yeah, from A Christmas Story, just say it. <laughs> oh my god, you know what, dude? I swear to god, I never even placed it. I'm like, I know this guy. Where do I know this guy from? And before I look it up, I, I always try to remember it, because mm-hmm. my memory's probably slipping. But, yep, that's him. Well, no, but what's interesting about him, I will say, I, I noticed this kind of when I was watching and I did some research while we're doing our notes here, and I noticed he's only ever in scenes with, like, at least one other actor, and I found that apparently he was cast so late in the game that they basically spliced him into the movie, and you can kind of feel bad, because he's only ever with one other person on screen whenever you see him. Yeah, that makes sense. Or on his own or whatever, it just feels like, you shot a lot of this later, <laughs> like, so much of this really yeah. late in the game. He's really good in it, though. Yeah, he's he uncredited good. because he's of that. Slimy. 
oh my god, I didn't realize that, really? It was a whole issue, because he came in so late into the production, he was going to get, like, a very small billing, so he's like, I won't even be billed for that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, because he's really good in it. He's very, like, nefarious and mustache twirling. <laughs> he's very good. I love the bit where Robert Redford comes back into Prosky's office to say, like, I'm not taking your money. And he's just like, well, this doesn't change anything. You're talented, but that's not going to change a thing here. I think you're a loser. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just hits mm-hmm. really hard. I love it. Oh, dude, you're like, damn. The scene that we talked about earlier with the judge and Robert Redford walks out and turns all the lights on. <laughs> like, fuck you, man. Clicks all, you come back here and turn those goddamn lights off. <laughs> <laughs> and you know another character who's a less of like a good or bad more so this interesting middle ground Robert Duvall as the sports writer Max I really love that character because he's so much more of this middle ground just like hey I just want to report the story dude that's all I'm doing I'm not taking sides he's, just, he's like a paparazzi dude yeah I mean basically and it, he's very scummy in scenes but in other scenes you can tell he actually does kind of care like it's he's very in a gray area for person like you said and uh i mean dude i mean let's just be honest you put robert duvall anything he's gonna shine several episodes ago we talked about his one scene appearance in fucking invasion of the body snatchers and he doesn't say a word yes (laughs) right and it's enough yeah because he's fucking robert duvall he's so good he's always good i mean that's the one thing you can say about this movie too i honestly think that this movie has two if not three of the greatest american actors in it you got redford duvall and i would even throw glenn close in there too um, I mean, they're all so fantastic, and they work so well off each other, too. Watch this. I never once felt bad for Glenn Close or uh, Robert Redford, really, because the whole thing was they made their choices. You, know, right. you could tell she was kind of hurt by what he did, but at the same time, it's not like she sat there and suffered. No, you're right. She moved on with her life afterward, and I, I do wish we got a bit more of like that period between our cold open and what we have here of, like, Redford's life, because it's kind of, we hear mention of some things. There's a whole scene where, like, he tells Glenn Close about certain things, and it's over, like, a montage crossfade kind of thing. I wish we mm-hmm. got a bit more of that time, just at least hearing about more about their dissolve, their relationship, and stuff like that. But at the same time, it still works, because it is more about just, like, hey, we're not going to dwell on that. We're not bitter people about what happened. We wish things had been different, right. but we're not going to, like, really be angry about it. And, you know, I, I should have said this before, but Honestly, watching this and so many other movies, Glenn Close, give her that goddamn Oscar already. Like, Jesus uh, fucking I mean, Christ. Come on, dude. For God's sakes, enough. Everyone loves Meryl Streep. Fucking Glenn Close deserves so yeah. much more acclaim. No, and I agree. I mean, obviously, Meryl fucking Streep is Meryl Streep. I mean, right. I can not. But Glenn Close is right up there, man. I mean, she plays such a sweetheart in this movie, and you just love her to pieces. But then, not too long after, you know, fucking Fatal Attraction comes out. Yep. And you're like, oh my god, she's terrified. Mm-hmm. I mean, she could do anything. Watching this, it made me realize why she's one of the best. To the point where her and Redford play 19-year-olds in the beginning, and you don't give a shit, they don't look anything like 19-year-olds. No, you don't. But they did so. I don't know what they did with him. I don't know if it's the way they changed his hair color, or he had just had so much makeup on in the beginning. But he does look older when they mm-hmm. come back 16 years later. No, that's true. It so, feels I mean, like there's... whatever they did, they did a pretty good job. I would say, yeah, the makeup kind of makes it look like there's been a bit more mileage when he comes back into it. Um, also, mm-hmm. we should mention during that opening, another big plus for this movie, one of the better uses of Joe Don Baker in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I love Joe Don Baker, but man, did he just get put in shit. Right, yeah, but uh, this is... Um, it's a really great use of him because it takes advantage of like his swagger, but also his total like ego-driven, completely blindsided 
style, um, with like him being so attracted to Barbara Hershey, not giving a single shit about Redford, thinking he's gonna right. totally went past him. And also a great scene where like the whole baseball competition thing I love. That's yeah. that's another great example of just how Levinson shoots not just the Americana angle of it, but also the actual sport. Like he makes baseball, which can be if you watch this fucking baseball so game, it, so, so cool. Oh my god. Levinson makes this sport so much more cinematic than it deserves to be. Where there are just so many points where like anytime he fucking hits something out of the park, you immediately are swept in with all of them. You almost wanna like look back like everyone else is when the ball hits. You wanna like look up in the air because mm-hmm. of how like dynamically it's edited and how it's shot. Also we should mention Caleb Deschanel, multiple Academy Award nominated cinematographer and father of Zoe. No, really? Yeah. really? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. Wait, multiple nominated, so he's never won? No, this movie is shot fantastic. In that opening scene, you know, the three strikes, and when he, the first pitch where he throws it so fucking fast, you don't even see it. Mm-hmm. Like, it just lands in that dude's glove. And you're like, holy fuck. You know, it, it's exciting. There's very few things that can make baseball exciting to watch. This movie does it in spades. I also love the fact that they utilize a lot of the period stuff, because you haven't mentioned this is a period piece. It takes place mostly in, like, 39. And I love how they use the culture of the time to really display so much of the story, like the newsreel footage and the cover of uh, Time Magazine and all this other stuff, to just show the progression of his career. Uh, the, the flipping newspaper is my favorite trope that's completely lost now to time. That. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Like the spinning newspaper, the flipping paper, yep, that's gone, unfortunately, because that was everywhere. But yeah, I, I love this movie. It does feel like the actors in it are from that period, too. They all do such a good job. Yes. The the costume means so well done. The I mean, even the vehicles that you sparsely see, but when you see them. Yeah, and I also just love even like the awkwardness with like them in front of cameras, where it feels like it's still like a new medium. Like the point where Robert Redford's mm-hmm. showing off the bat, and it's like, show the bat, and he kind of smiles, but it's still kind of awkward. It's the only time Robert Redford's looked awkward on camera. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love the, speaking of cameras, when Duvall's trying to sneak pictures of him. Yeah. After he comes back to the hospital and he just hits those two balls straight for his head. I think The Natural's kind of been lost a bit more to time. It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars at the time and was very celebrated mm-hmm. in 1984. But it feels like it's kind of fallen off. It's not one you always see on, like, best sports movies ever lists, usually. It's a lot more recent movies. And I wonder why that is. I wonder why it kind of got lost to time a bit. You, you know, I don't know. And I, that's funny you brought that up because I absolutely 100% agree with you. I would think, you know, I, obviously I haven't seen every sports movie out there, but I would think this would deserve a spot easily in the top five, if not the top ten. And it's very rare that you even hear mention of this. Other than when you mentioned Robert Redford, people are like, oh, yeah, The Natural. But uh, honestly, most of what I knew about this movie prior was like references on, say, The Simpsons, where they would use the score. Where uh, I love it's in the episode where. Bart does boxcar racing, and you can hear the score when he looks in the stands and Homer's there. And he's like, "Do it for your old man, boy." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a, not a huge age difference between us, but there is a difference. Just with time, you know, fathers aren't showing it to their kids, and you know, just people aren't watching it. This should be considered a classic. And I think in, in some circles it is, but yeah, a lot of people don't know about this or haven't even bothered. It, like I said, it, I don't think I'll spin this off into closing thoughts here. It, it's a movie where, like I said, I think all the problems I have with it are just on the page. I think the script on like a certain level just feels like it could be hokey. There are moments that feel like, man, this shouldn't quite work, but it's so well put together by, we mentioned the score, cinematography, the 
performances all around and the direction really make this, like I mentioned, it's a fantasy sports movie. It almost feels like a superhero origin story movie also. Like I mentioned the Superman angle. The whole opening where his father dies and then the the tree fucking gets hit by lightning and he grabs his bat. Uh, that, that feels like this is like, I have become sportsman but it it works despite that it feels like this is a paragon of what we want our sports heroes to be not you know guys who end up doping up to get higher places in the hall of fame and shit like that you want somebody like a robert redford who's pure who's honest who really had to work to get to this point who's especially like the whole angle of it being this character who was very talented but got sidetracked by a lot of things and like you mentioned he feels very honest and human in terms of look this is where I was, I got sidetracked for a bit, I still love the game, I still want to keep playing. It feels like he's really earned this spot, and he really earns all the way up to that climax where he hits the lights and everything explodes, and it's slow motion, oh, and he's so running around epic. the bases. It's it's so epic, but it doesn't feel unearned. That's the big thing. Is and on That could go terribly schmaltzy and stupid, but in context of this movie, it feels like a very big crescendo final moment that really is earned for that character, and is, I agree, I think one of the better sports movies of the last 30 to 40 years. You know, I, I have very few flaws with this movie, uh, one being the Michael Madsen thing, just because it comes out of nowhere and then it's barely even mentioned again. I do love that Robert Redford's character, while wholesome, he does, he is a man with flaws, too. Like, he is hiding something from his past. He is a bit of a womanizer. He is a bit of, you know, a rebel. He doesn't listen to what anybody tells him. He does what he wants. You know, he speaks his mind constantly, but he's still just a good leading man get behind. And out of baseball movies, I mean, this is probably the best baseball movie of all time. I mean, easily. And that score, just that song, it is so iconic. And it's it just fills you with such adrenaline where you're like, oh, yeah, like fucking this. Now it's happening. You know, win one for the Gipper. <laughs> you know, you're just so excited. And it, it never lets up. Like once... Once it really gets into it, where he's just sinking those homers, it, it it's just it's such a fun, entertaining movie to get behind. It never is really boring. There's never parts of this where I was like, you know, okay, let's go, let's go. It is a little too over two hours, but it it goes by brief enough. Still, there's plenty in it. I don't know that anything needed to be taken out. I don't really think anything needed to be added. I think it's it's good at what it is, and it just really shows why Robert Redford is who he is. And why he's such a you know a mainstay iconic actor, he's uh, he's fantastic, and uh, I think more people do need to see this now. Is it because maybe because it was shown in school to a lot of kids, and it's got almost like that catcher in the rye syndrome where they're like, oh fuck that book, man, you know, fuck that movie. I I don't know, but I, I think it definitely definitely is one of the greatest sports movies of all time. Plus, I would also say something like. I see the Sandlot kind of eclipsed it as like the new sports movie everybody watched kind of thing. Definitely. No, that, that's a very good point. Yeah, that became the new classic baseball movie, which, you know, whatever. Sandlot's a Sandlot. Yep, and uh, speaking of killing us smalls, let's get to our next topic, which is Rocky Five. This is your medical report. It's not so good, but we can work around it. You lost millions. This is a tremendous opportunity. For him to be disabled? You got insulted. You got a humiliated. They tell me you're a piece of garbage. Sometimes you just got to go for it. Why don't you try knocking me down? Let's do it. Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Five, rated PG 13. 
starts Friday at theaters everywhere. I'm so sorry that I picked a sequel. I always said I didn't want to pick a sequel to something, really. Well, no, I mean, it's it's good SEO, because we're doing this on the week that Creed 2 is coming out. It's also a good way to sort of segue into talking just more about the Rocky franchise in general, which obviously we would need to in order to talk about Rocky Five. Sure. obviously. Uh, this is the fifth film in the Rocky franchise, in case you couldn't tell, in case you are um, a bit slow. Uh, this is the fifth one, and um, the Rocky franchise went through a very interesting sort of evolution, because you got the first film in 1976, classic, one of the most beloved American films of all time, huge, high-grossing drama that won Best Picture. Then Rocky II was... I have so many issues with Rocky II, it's just like, it's basically just a, we need to do a rematch so Rocky can win, and I've never been a huge fan of it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It sort of takes away what the original was all about doing mm-hmm. the second one. Because I think the original, I think I don't think they should have ended it any other way. I don't think Rocky should have won. I mean, that would just, it's too Hollywood. So then, then these movies became very Hollywood and grandiose. I'm not a hater of the Rocky franchise, but I understand that they get pretty silly. You know, I would personally say I think Rocky Three has a decent balance. Admittingly, it does get very silly, but also still has some of the heart left in it, especially when they have Mickey tragically die and all this other stuff. I thought that one did a pretty good balance of that. And plus, it does a lot of stuff that Rocky Two tried to do better with, like him being so obsessed with like his ego and his sudden fame that he got, especially having Clubber Lang come in and kind of face off against him. He's pretty much the representation yeah. of his inflated ego coming in to try and attack him. Yeah, I liked Rocky Four too, though. I mean, other than like, you know, Happy Birthday, Polly. <laughs> that stupid fucking. Rock. Oh, you mean the best character but of the I, franchise, I think, Adam? Right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I do think Ivan Drago was a good villain, mm-hmm. but it's still kind of silly. Kind of. Like it's a very <laughs> silly movie. Like where it's you know it basically comes down to Russia versus America. I mean, it is what it is. I like that they dealt with it in this one, where Rocky's you know suffering from brain damage from Ivan Drago to beating the piss out of him, but. Watching this one, you also know why there was such a gap in between this and the sixth one. With Rocky IV, especially, like, I, I agree that those movies got very over the top, but my biggest problem with, like, a Rocky V is unlike a Rocky one through four, even with, you know, four basically being montage the movie, you could just fucking call it that because yeah. that's mostly what it is. Rocky V <laughs> feels so disingenuous. Watching it, you're just like, it wants to be this whole thing of like, hey, we're taking Rocky back to his roots, going back to Philly, he's going to be on the same streets he was in the original movie, and Adrian's going to be at the pet shop, and he's going to be, you know, the little guy again against this over-the-top Don King character, played by Richard Gantz, who we previously saw in <laughs> Friday the 13th, Jason, Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I would argue it was the best part of the movie, anytime he shows up. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, it's like, he's broke now, he's down and out, Mickey's dead, he's got brain injuries, he can't, he can't relate to his son anymore, which right, is played by but his real son, I that, believe, right? Yeah, it's played by a stage Stallone, his real son, but my problem is that like it does all of that groundwork of like, oh, we're going to keep things you know to the ground and everything, but it's also just as highly overproduced and bloated and dumb as some of those recent sequels that they had done prior. That's the thing mm-hmm. is, it wants to be something more authentic and gritty, but it's so not bad. Because how many like bad early '90s montages are there? How that that whole fucking fight scene at the end is garbage. Such a terrible oh, it's shot. Terrible. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna make Rocky Five and have a hip hop street fight at the end. Like that's what you're gonna do. I mean, come on, dude. 
It's absolutely ridiculous. And the thing is, it didn't need to be made. They were so out of touch as what they were trying to do with this franchise. What the fuck are you doing? So he has zero dollars left. Zero dollars. No money. And how? Because uh, Paulie signed away whatever bullshit. It's so dumb how they contrived that. I mean, what a throwaway bullshit. And if that was the case, fuck Paulie. <laughs> like, he wasn't hanging out with this asshole anymore. And then you get arguably the worst opponent in the franchise for him to fight with Tommy Gunn. Yes, uh, Tommy Gunn played by Tommy Morrison, who was a real boxer, um, mm-hmm. and as you can tell, not much of a presence, because that's what worked about Rocky villains, was that they were always an interesting presence to have around, even if they weren't the most developed characters. Like Ivan Drago, you mentioned, not much of a character, but a big intimidating presence. Clubber Lang, well, I, I love Mr. T.S. Clubber Lang. It's such a... F- <laughs> What's your prediction? My prediction? Pain. Pain. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Apollo Creed, at Carl Weathers being a, a fun... Um, very ego-driven in his own right, you know, just a flashy star um, works really well, too, as a contrast to Rocky. That's what works about any of those characters. There's a reason, there's a contrast that makes sense. Versus Tommy Gunn, quite frankly, it just feels like Stallone wrote this character just as like a, oh man, you know, these kids coming up, they're not like us, the oldies, look at these young punks who go in like feral animals. It's an ego trip for Stallone. Yeah, I agree. And, and the thing is, even with Ivan Drago, who had basically no lines, except like, you know, I must break you. He also had his mouthpieces around him, which, you know, just sold him as a character. This guy, he can't act at all. No. Like, not out of a paper bag. He's, he was terrible. You hate him from beginning. When you're supposed to be behind him, you just, I just don't like him. Like, he's just a spoiled prick. Like, you know, Rocky, hey, you know, go to help him out. You know, get back in there. Like, get the fuck out of here with this. And it's just... And then they he, he twists so quick because of money. Yeah. You know, Rocky's holding you back. And all of a sudden, he's just like... He's ultra evil. It's just... You don't believe any of it. You don't believe any of it. I, I completely agree with all that. But also, the big thing for me is that, you know, Rocky becomes so obsessed with training him as ignoring his son. And that, I feel, is like a critical mistake because as much as Rocky, you know, isn't the smartest guy... He at least is emotionally intuitive. That's what I love about Rocky. Is that right, even when he's, he's an oaf with a heart, right? And he can recognize someone else's motivations or how they feel or how they're kind of trying to make him feel at the same time. He has that emotional intuition that makes him such an endearing character. He felt that same way with Adrian or with Apollo or with Mickey. He could tell what they were going behind, what their emotions were, as opposed to his son is literally saying, "Hey, Dad, pay attention to me." And he's too dumb to see that. I don't care what brain damage you have, that is a complete betrayal of Rocky as a character. You're going to devote all your time to this dude when your kid is seriously having issues. Like, that kid is having problems. He's getting beat up, and then he falls in with these other kids, gets his ear pierced, starts skipping school, you know, pulling all sorts of crazy kid shenanigans. And Rocky doesn't give a fuck. He just keeps training Tommy Gunn. And then when he finds out about it, he's like, tries to discipline him. It's like, fuck you, man. You weren't there the whole time. Like, you didn't give a shit. No. And uh, I 100% agree with you. That completely betrays Rocky as a character. It's a betrayal of the character and a betrayal of the franchise and a betrayal of even making a good boxing movie. They don't even bother at the end. And even like Talia Shire in this movie, like I've never been a huge fan of hers, but it was kind of sweet in the first one, especially where she was kind of like this dork, not overtly attractive, but Rocky was just into her and everything. But in this one, she grates on my fucking nerves. Like how many... 
he's your son, we're your family speeches to give Rocky before he gets his head back in the fucking game. The thing is, I really like Talia Sherrier and him, especially in the first movie, and I always thought they didn't really know what to do with Adrian, unfortunately, after the point where it's like, her biggest role in the sequels is having his kid in the second movie. I always had a problem with how they kind of blindsided her, because I like Talia Shire as an actress, honestly. I just thought, I wish they had done more with, like, her and Rocky, actually, as a couple, because that's what I love. I love so many great scenes, because I rewatched, interestingly, the first movie, and then watched Rocky Five, and then another movie put a pin in it as sort of, like, a triple feature. And in the first movie, there's so many great quiet moments. There's so much great interaction. Like, like there's that point where Paulie goes fucking nuts with the bat, and they just hug, and it says so fucking much about them as a couple and how they're very different people, but you can tell if they really do love each other. And I cry every time at that climax in Rocky when she's going through the fucking crowd. That's such a beautiful, oh, honest moment. And then in these sequels, they don't know what to do with her until this is sadly, like, I think, the biggest role she had outside of the first one. And it's like you said, she's a nag. Mm-hmm. That's all she is. Yeah, what she becomes is for someone to, for him to look for in the stands after he wins. That's what that's what the Adrian character boils down to in the rest of the films. I, I don't know if, if there was ego involved in the writing of this movie. I, I'm I'm pretty sure there was. It just it just fails on every level. Like it almost doesn't even feel like a Rocky movie. No, yeah, even like, the montages it, are poor. <laughs> yeah, you don't have you don't get even the the worst ones. There's always that uplifting scene, or you know you know even to boil it down to where good triumphs over evil. You know, whatever it is, there's none of that in here. None of it. It's a shame, though, because you watch this and you realize you're you're almost a you're obviously watching the first and last performance of Tommy Morrison. It's a shame that he didn't really put on much of a show. But then also like Sage Stallone, Mm -hmm. who became you know a big proponent of independent and grindhouse cinema. And it's a shame what happened to him because I guess he was actually supposed to redo the role for Rocky Balboa. But, like, whatever happened, so they got Milo Ventimiglia, who was fine. I mean, he was all right. But you watch it, and you're like, fuck, this is, like, you almost feel bad that this is their on-screen legacy. I, I mean, yeah, to a certain extent. Though I'll say the only good things I can say came out of this movie were, like, I agree, Balboa came out, like, a decade and a half later. And was seemingly a really good send-off for the Rocky character, at least as a fighter. And then yes. I'll say that third movie I was referring to, I rewatched Creed. And oh, watching great. Creed, I think it's very possible that Ryan Coogler was, like, watching all the Rocky movies and saw Rocky Five, and it's like, how would I do this but make it a great fucking movie? And that's what Creed yeah. is. Creed that, is no, so the same Creed, basic yeah. structure and makes it phenomenal. I agree, and I have a big worry that Creed Two is going to be like Rocky Two. Right. I really do, and I mean, I'm, I'm going to watch it because I really like the first one, but I don't really have hopes for that one but yeah you're 100 right i never really thought of it that way but yeah that's exactly what happened i didn't think about it until i was watching five and i'm like wait a minute there's so many dots <laughs> connected here rocky needs to is training a younger guy um who's kind of like you know um, kind of spoiled and self-obsessed cocky cocky yeah, yeah uh, cocky newcomer um he um and ends up having like his own struggles with medical conditions um there's but the the difference is that like what I love about Creed so much is that it feels like the perfect version of like a sequel so many years later because it respects what the original does, but also makes room for a new person to come in who is a great character. I love Adonis. I love what he brings to that franchise oh, with his yeah. relationship with um, Rocky. 
and how that once again that's a so much more of like a less ego driven role for Stallone. It's the best he's been in so long because he lacks so much ego. And I fully expected that movie to fail. <laughs> like I did not expect it to be good, but you know, obviously you've been burned before by sequels that come out 10, 15 or, you know, reboots or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. But it was back, back to this one. There feels like there's really no conclusion to the movie. Like at all. Well, a big reasoning why was Stallone was planning on killing Rocky in this movie. And then yeah, he backed out the last second, been, which would have been a bad call. I honestly think. Well, I think mostly just because this would be the lamest way to end Rocky as a character. <laughs> but you don't get the final boxing match. You don't get really because yeah, Stallone beats up Tommy in an alley. Does that mean Tommy's done boxing? No. What are you talking about? Stallone... Richard Gantz says you're losing everything, which is so great. I love so that shot. It's so stupid. <laughs> so dumb. That's like, dude, Mike Tyson fought guys all over the city mm-hmm. constantly. He was not done boxing. He was still Mike fucking Tyson. And then Rocky, yeah, he fucking, like, uppercuts Richard Can under the hood of a car. Touch me, I'll sue. And then he uppercuts him. Well, Rocky's probably going to get sued, dude. Well, yeah, it's like, like, sue for what? Assault, asshole. That's what you just did. You literally uppercutted the man for going for it. And and, and that's also another thing, just, like, the, the horrible messages he's sending about just, like, fight your problems away. Like, I know Rocky is a series built on fighting, but how much of this is just built on, like, hey, fight somebody dirty in a back alley and you'll solve your problems. And you'll literally be blessed by a priest at the end of the movie, which I forgot about. Why the fuck is that happening? I don't know. (laughs) Well, dude, it's it's a prime example with his son. Yeah. What does his son do? He finds somebody to get his coat back and now he becomes, like, cool and popular. He's got friends. It's so dumb. So it's awful. really bad. It's really bad. And then he gets a George Michael earring. What I like about some of the later Rocky movies is that they kind of realize with, like, a Tommy gun that, like, okay, we can't really have these kind of characters anymore for him to fight against. And so they build more authentic, like, grounded boxer characters for him to fight. Like, I love... He's not a very well-celebrated character, but the villain in Balboa, I love the fact that he's, like, an actually decent guy. It's such Mason a great Dixon. turn. Yeah, Mason Dixon. Antonio Tarver, a real uh, real champion. Boxing right. Champion. And there's that point where, like, right before the fight, he talks to Rocky, like, look, I respect you. I don't want to do anything bad to you. I'm not going to be a shit heel. But if you yeah, mess it's... with me, I'll do the same to you. Yeah, in fact, it's not even him that wants to do the fight. It's all the fucking his agents and everybody else getting in his ear. Yeah. Telling him, oh, you got to fight him, buddy. He's like, all right, fuck it. I'll do it. I mean, just put on an exhibition match. He's not evil. He doesn't punch Adrian, even though she's dead, but he doesn't punch his son or Polly or anything like that. It's nothing. Like, it's just a boxing match, which is what which is what they did well in Creed as yes. well. Yeah, not in this one. Nope. <laughs> not in this one. Tommy Gunn, you know, I took you in, Tommy. You were like a brother to me, my son. Blah, blah. Well, that's all over, Rock. You held me back. You're like, uh. what? I held you back? You're like, get the fuck out of here. What is this melodramatic bullshit? Yep. This is a boxing movie. Come to blows. Like, let's just get it done with. Have a boxing match. That's the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's But it, that and also to be very mindlessly nostalgic for the original movie while not getting it all why it worked. And it's sad because this is directed by John G. Alvaldson, who directed the first movie. And unfortunately what ends up happening is, you know, speaking of John G. Alvaldson's career, 
This is the Karate Kid 3 for this franchise. Oh, no. He did Karate Kid 3? He did all three of the original Karate Kids. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, my God. But Karate Kid 3 has a similar thing where it's like, we're just kind of bringing it back to basics, but in the lamest, very thin ways possible. And that's what happened Mm. here with Rocky V. And and it it feels so, like I said, stagey in Hollywood, despite the fact that it's trying to be this grounded movie that is going back to the roots of the original, but just has no idea what that means. What does that mean with Rocky to go back to the roots? Uh, Watch fucking Balboa and Creed, asshole. That's how you do it. Right, that's how you do it. Guys who actually really do give a shit about the character. Mm -hmm. Someone who who can come in and keep Stallone's ego a little bit in check. Oh, boy. Okay, so, uh, I mean... Final thoughts, Adam, on Rocky V. Okay, I've seen all of them repeatedly. Uh, this is easily the lowest bar in the franchise. Like I said, it doesn't even feel like a Rocky movie. Yeah, Stallone's doing the accent and he's, you know, playing dumb and wearing the hat and the leather jacket and, you know. But it almost feels like a spoof. You literally give zero shits about anybody in the movie, including Rocky, which is the biggest fault. If you can't get behind Rocky Balboa in a Rocky movie, then you don't care. You get behind him more in a spinoff than he do in his own fifth film. Um, I I can't say one thing about this movie that I think is done well. Even like you mentioned, the the final fight is shot so poorly that it's even hard to see what's going on. Rocky assaults man. It's just, it's just this is just such a black mark on the whole franchise, which thankfully has basically been forgotten. Like, people don't even talk about this movie. The fact that we're doing it is just showing how much gluttons for punishment we can be. Oh, no, I re- like, the thing is, the, the biggest damning thing about this movie is I remember I was telling my father we were doing this episode, and I mentioned Rocky Five. It's like, is that the one with the Russian guy? No, no, no. Is that the one with Mr. T? No, no, that's not. <laughs> and he's like, is that yeah. the one with the Apollo's son? No, that's not. <laughs> no one remembers Wait, nobody this Nobody remembers it. No. It's that bad. It's so forgettable. Like I said, it's not a Rocky movie. It doesn't feel like a Rocky movie. It d- doesn't look like a Rocky movie. There's no great climax like a Rocky movie. There's there's nothing here. I mean, I, I agree with all those sentiments. And, I mean, I'll say this much. I didn't necessarily hate the use of Mickey in the movie in flashbacks, only because Burgess Meredith is actually caring. Um, right. Uh, in that one flashback scene especially, even though it's weird because he clearly looks like 15 years older than he did in the first Rocky, but it's supposed to be taking place <laughs> at the same time as the first Rocky. Okay. He's all like, the, the little angel's gonna be around you saying, get up, you son of a bitch, because Mickey loves you. That's the only thing I remember at this movie, really. Yeah. I think back on right. is that scene. Um, Which has been a line in the previous four movies. So right. Exactly. It's not even original. No. Um, and, but... I will say it is weird when they use him in a, the during the fight montage where just weird close-ups on fucking Burgess Meredith like, don't go out like this! Don't do it! It's like, what 90s music video bullshit is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's the only Rocky movie I would say completely skip. Even two, for all the issues I have with it, I still have, there's some fun moments that are still in Rocky 2 that would make it, I would argue, a lesser but still part of the Rocky franchise versus... Five has every single hallmark missing, all of the charm, all of the kind of weird over-the-top angles of it. It doesn't want to embrace that, even though it's totally doing that. It's totally being an over-the-top commercial product, 
but it also wants to be the grounded movie the original movie was, and it ends up being neither of those things. It ends up being just a complete waste of time and a waste of life. Yep. You gotta eat lightning and crap out Rocky Five. But that is the end of our discussion on the double features, uh, but we do have some feedback about, uh, we asked you all on our Facebook page and Twitter page, at Pod what your favorite and least favorite sports movies are, and boy, you guys responded. We got a lot right. of feedback here. Holy hell. Thanks, guys. Good God. Now, we do appreciate it. Um, and first up is Adrian Cardenas, who says, Some of my favorites would have to be Rocky, Warrior, League of Their Own, Bad News Bears, and Major League. Least favorites would be the Bad News Bears remake, Air Bud, Rocky V, and Joanna Man. David Maynard says, Blood of Heroes. Trevor Dunham says, Favorite, Basketball. Will Torres says, Favorites, Sandlot, the first two Mighty Ducks movies, The Big Green, Little Giants. Basically anything where it's a kid playing sports and it's taken way too seriously. Non-favorites, Air Bud are just about any animal playing sports movies. Just because it's not mentioned in the rulebook doesn't mean it should be allowed. Chimps are dangerous. They'll rip off your eyes and genitals during the big game. No pizza party right after that. Tyler Thompson says, Sandlot, the Rocky franchise, both Longest Yard movies. Remember the Titans for sure. Any movie about a not a sport or that involves a sport, but it isn't the point, like Blades of Glory would be my least favorite. Uh, Rachel Hillis says, uh, favorites, Bend It Like Beckham, Caddyshack, and Rocky IV for the camp value. James Rodriguez says, my least favorite would be Rocky V. For a franchise where heart and soul were constants, Sloan flooring a Don King wannabe while an elderly priest cheers on just won't do. Thankfully, Rocky Balboa and Creed came along to deliver two of the best franchise entries. Also, a childhood of holiday repeats on TV gave me a soft spot for Cool Runnings, so I'll happily give that a mention. MKiwi980 on Twitter says, The Replacements and Rocky 3. Heather Thomas says, I like The Replacements and Foxcatcher 2, especially for the dramatic acting from two actors who rarely tread that ground. Least favorite is the movie with Matt LeBlanc and the Monkey. And uh, Brian Kane says, Miracle is probably the best in the last few decades for me. I also really enjoyed Hardball, although it was has plenty of issues. I'd say my least favorite is Air Bud and the Legion of Shitty family-friendly sports movies that came after it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of great ones and bad ones mentioned in there. A lot of Rocky Five mentions, so we're glad we yep. filled that yeah. <laughs> spot, pretty much. I don't disagree with most of the good choices, except maybe the Longest Yard remake I didn't mm-hmm. really care for. But that was my, just because, I, I at that point, I was already burned out on Adam Sandler so much. And I don't know that I've seen Blood of Heroes. I found out with Blood of Heroes, it created a sport, and it's been played in, like, Germany and Australia. Oh, it's called Jugger, and it's some kind of weird combination of, like, lacrosse and LARPing, from what I've seen. I'm not sure (laughs) what exactly it is. I haven't seen the movie, but I'm curious. It stars Rutger Hauer and Vincent D'Onofrio from 1989. Holy hell, I gotta see that movie. I'm, I'm very. It's, <laughs> it's a post-apocalyptic film about a sport called jugger. Remember the Titans? I remember that. That was one that played a lot in schools for me, Adam. That like they loved fucking playing us. Remember the Titans? Yeah, that was a little bit after my high school time, but mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was all right. I mean, yeah, eh, you know, <laughs> it's okay. Eh. Um, it is. I mean, it is what it is. It, it, it follows the formula. I like to see the replacements getting a couple calls out on here. Uh, yeah. I think that's a fun movie. I'll tell you, Foxcatcher to me, it, it, it's a dry movie, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. 
Yes. But fuck, man. Not only Steve Carell, but Mark Ruffalo in that movie gives his best performance. I, I agree Ruff- so much with Ruffalo. And I'll also say Channing Tatum. He's basically playing like the good version of Tommy Gunn, where he's a total meathead who yeah. doesn't really deserve to be a part of the game, but is. Um, and I always thought, I like Steve Carell in that movie, but it feels very much like he's trying to show off, like, look, I'm a dramatic actor now. You know what I it was for that. me, dude? It was the makeup. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if it wouldn't have been in the makeup, I think the, it might have been a little bit more easy to take. But to me, it looks like Steve Carell wearing makeup, like, is he going to do a gag the whole time? Or, like, is this his audition to play the Penguin? That's all, all right, I thought exactly. during the whole movie. Right. <laughs> uh, but no, Ruffalo's so good in that fucking movie. He's, He's so good. Oh my god. You feel so bad. Yep. <laughs> oh fuck. Um I also uh nice to hear shout outs for Bendit Like Beckham. That one I think is very underrated. You know, I don't think I've ever seen that one. Is that the one with Kira Knightley? Yes. I remember especially watching as a kid, like an early example for me of just watching like, oh, just because someone looks different, they actually and have like a different cultural background, you can still relate to them on an interesting level. Mm-hmm. That was an early example of that for me. It's a cute movie. It definitely deserves to be watched more. I like to see Caddyshack mentioned. I love Caddyshack, although I would definitely throw that along where the sports don't really matter in that movie. No, not at all. <laughs> it's definitely just a movie of shenanigans. It's an excuse uh, for those great comedians to riff around a weird story where you have like that one teen as your main character. I'm like, why the fuck do I care about him and having like a weird pregnancy scare with his girlfriend? Who cares? Yeah, give a shit about him. Right. You just want to see, you know, Rodney Dangerfield and Bill Murray. Shred it up. Hey, everybody, but, uh, we're all going to get laid. I, Great I ending for a movie. So I love Roger Dangerfield <laughs> so much. Take my wife, please. I, I, do, I do agree with Miracle, though. Uh, I also think Miracle is one of Kurt Russell's last really good performances. I did like him in, like, Bone Tomahawk. And even, like, Death Proof, he was pretty good. But he's phoned it in, man. I thought he phoned it in in Guardians 2. I uh, disagree with that very heartily. I mean, I could see it more in, like, say, that Netflix Santa Claus movie that he's doing. Oh, my God. What the fuck is that? Okay. You know, what the fuck? That looks way more just like cash-in that bullshit. Looks atrocious. What the hell are they thinking? <laughs> Which I believe is coming out as we're releasing this episode. I'm not watching it. I refuse. <laughs> I, look, it'd be like any other net number of Netflix things that don't get watched by me. Um, but no, Miracle, I agree. Very underrated. Miracle deserves... It got. It feels forgotten as well. It deserves more attention. Yeah, I agree with that. Because when it came out, it was a big deal. And now everyone's like, eh, fuck it. Yeah. Um, well, we also have some other feedback related to some other things. We posted on the Facebook and Twitter page also about just some honest feedback from you guys about how the show's going. And Brian Kane also shared this. It's hard to have many criticisms about the format. The film talk is great. Aside from one key aspect, the way that you guys pick the movies. There's just not much to it, and picking a number from 1 to 10 is kind of boring. I suppose it gets the job done, but having an interesting formula for selection could be an added hook. I'm afraid I don't actually have an idea for a replacement, though. Only other criticism, it's film and or media discussions, right? Maybe give a TV show an episode or two at the end of every month, maybe? Great podcast. Wish you were even longer. Well, we appreciate that. All the criticism. That's yeah, there, absolutely. Right? I mean, we've talked about some of that, like definitely the film and or media discussions. Mm-hmm. We've, ta- we've contemplated. And I only leave that open just so we could potentially branch out to other things, like especially TV. I agree. I would like right. to cover more television. There was even television. talk one time of us doing video games. Right, though that, there's just a lot of complications with, like, what do we play? Do we have access to it? You haven't, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's a bit harder to do on a weekly format like we do here. <laughs> but, I mean, also definitely with the picking, I mean, we've we've contemplated that. It's just the only issue is really, I don't know if we there was really much any other ways that we could pick an audio format, right? No, I agree. I think maybe the only, the only thing I can think of, and I don't like the idea, but the only thing I can think of is each of us coming with one choice. And this this is the good one, this is the bad one, that's what we're doing. But the reason I don't like that is, is because... I don't know about you, but I'm constantly fighting with my choices. What am I going to pick? Yeah. Well, I'm going to do this one or this one. So having two is almost like necessary. I could easily do this with three or four. But honestly, dude, if anybody has any ideas like how to how to maybe change that or come up with a better formula or a better idea on how we do our selection, I'm all ears. No, definitely. I agree. Definitely. All ears to hear any opinions on that and how to change and evolve the show because we would love to do that. We don't want to grow stale. And we definitely want to hear from you guys who are our loyal listeners on that. And speaking of those loyal listeners, uh, Mallory Somerville, one of our bigger fans, says, For the Fantasy Films episode, you guys need to do a part two for this. So many more movies I'd love to hear you cover. And we've talked about this, too, in terms of repeating topics. Mm-hmm. We don't, we aren't necessarily against the idea, especially because no. of nothing else. If we ever repeat a topic, it will most likely be because we can switch off on the quality that we did in yes. the original episode. That's the main reason yes. we would do it. I agree. And it's also if it's a relevant topic for something that might be coming out at the time, for it to maybe take place, something we have planned. Because we have topics planned for months. Yes. And I think they're all good topics. Right. But, you know, if something relevant happens or something's coming out, then, I mean, we're always open to change topics. It's not like we're, you know, beholden to a one-and-done situation. It's just, is there a need to revisit? Right, and there's always at least the one reason of switching off that quality. Also, I think we've definitely discussed, though, if there's one we're definitely going to revisit, it's Westerns. Because that Western episode yes. had two lesser choices for yes. good and bad. I agree. That's one of the few ones where both choices came out as bad. To a certain extent, yes. Well, um, mediocre and mediocre. Bad. I mean, in terms of fantasy films, also, uh, just a hint there, Mallory. Um, there's a certain big uh, TV show everybody loves that might fit the fantasy theme that's coming back for its final season. Mm-hmm. So maybe, mm-hmm. who knows? The Connors guys, everyone's favorite. Right, fantasy show. Favorite, which is a fantasy. No, um, but that's all our feedback. Thank you guys for all the feedback. We really do appreciate yeah. it. And uh, we want to do something a bit different as well here because in the time since we. Um, have recorded our last episode. Um, we don't talk about news a lot because we usually record these about a week in advance or so. But, you know, since our first episode was Marvel-centric, our first episode was on Iron Man and Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, we did want to at least briefly talk about the unfortunate passing of Stanley, who, um, man, that was, that hurt. Yeah, dude. Um, if anybody, you know, if I had to pick a top three of influences on my childhood or people who are there i mean he's in the top three he might even be a a number one with a bullet the guy created all the worlds that i love to explore when i was afraid anything else his ideas and everything got me through a lot of hard times i mean he lived to be 95 i mean he had a long long life and he wasn't slipping at the end he was still sharp as a tack just he was old I mean, and it happens, unfortunately. His ideas have shaped what modern cinema has become. His ideas have endlessly inspired artists across any medium. 
and right like i was obliquely referencing game of thrones earlier but there was a great interview i heard um listened to which uh george rr R. martin which he did mm-hmm. like moments after he heard stan lee died and a lot of it was him talking about how much it influenced how he created that world of westeros and the character relationships and i never even thought about it but that's that makes a lot of sense and honestly thinking back i, I saw this on twitter and it's so true stan lee was basically our generation's walt disney that's 100% correct, but less racist. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it was less that he was racist and it's more, or necessarily anti-Semitic and more just that he was too obsessed with money. <laughs> and that right. blindsided him. But that's a different discussion. But no, but yeah. Stanley, like he, like not just as also like a creative force that we're talking about, but as a persona. Because I knew mostly, like I'm not as huge a comic person, but I knew Stanley just as like the the guy who showed up and was the face of Marvel. The guy was just like, hey, true believers, why don't you read right. a new Marvel book? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, he had the, his, uh, you know, mail-in column at the end of every comic almost. Mm-hmm. And, dude, I mean, the guy gave us the X-Men and Spider-Man. I mean, the X-Men was such a huge part of my childhood. The cartoon, the toys, the yeah. comics, everything. I could, I, I mean... <sighs> I owe so much of my childhood and my time and my wonder and fascination and fantasy and all that to Stan Lee. Again, though, it's not like he died unexpectedly. So am I sad he's gone? Yes. But, I mean, it was inevitable. Inevitable. My my only real sad point, which is especially how he sort of like the last years of his life, was just some of the elder abuse stuff that came out. I was very yeah, disappointed to uh, hear that's... about that from his manager. I'll let you, I think, if anything, hopefully that can just shine a light more on that, which happens a lot more than you think it would. Oh, it's horrible. Yes. It's, it is really horrible. Um, but, but still, I agree. He lived such a wonderful life. He was such a great presence. Um, he's one of the things that, you know, obviously we talked about with those Marvel movies. He showed up in so many of those, and that became an Easter egg that even, like, people who don't know a thing about comics picked up on. Like myself, it's just like, oh, there's Stan Lee, the guy who shows up in all these Marvel movies, and was always a fun presence. What was your favorite Stan Lee cameo? Um, I liked him as the strip club DJ in uh, Deadpool. I thought that was fun. Make way I, for chastity. <laughs> yeah, I really liked him in uh, Civil War, though. Are you Tony Stank? Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. I also liked the Ant-Man and the Wasp, where he's like, oh, the 70s really got a hold on, did a number on me when his car shrinks in front of him. Um. He was always fun to see, though. I mean, he was always fun. But mm-hmm. probably the Deadpool one. I would say it's not, obviously, my favorite in the Marvel movies, but I think it is my favorite Stanley cameo is the one in Spider-Man 3, where it just shows, it's like, you know, I think, I guess it shows up one person can make a difference. Enough said. You know, and that's so funny. I just watched Spider-Man 3 yesterday with my kid. Mm-hmm. It was horrible to get through. Literally. That's a bright spot, of course. Yeah, I almost literally took a picture of that scene because it's they're so well framed. Yeah, to save that picture, but um, yeah, that's a good one. That's yeah. a really good one. and and of course I'll also give a shout out to Mallrats. It's one of the things that holds up about Mallrats pretty well. Is his, his <laughs> your, your friend seems to have a lot of interest in superhero genitalia. <laughs> How uh, could you not love Stanley? But no. anyways, you know, sympathy to his family and to all of his fans. Man. It's just it happens. Time moves on, and there will never be one like him. No. He, it was the true end of an era, his passing. Right. 
But uh, we also uh, want to thank some people out there who uh, helped us with the show. Thanks to Chris Oliver for the music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Also thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. She accepts commissions at fiverr.com slash eescarta. And also we want to uh, spread some thanks to all of you out there because we're releasing this on Thanksgiving week. So especially all of our American listeners, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Yep, eat your turkey and uh, watch the Mystery Science Theater 3000 thing on Netflix. Which I think I'm going to do. I think that's my plan. Yeah. I mean, do that or the Joe Bob Briggs thing on Shudder. Or more importantly, avoid your family and listen to more episodes of Double Edge Double Bill. Yeah, do that. <laughs> and drink a lot of alcohol. And you know where you can do that, Adam? You can do that now on Spotify. Since our Spotify, last episode, you say? Yes, since our last episode, we've released all our episodes on Spotify. So you can stream those on your favorite music app. You can uh, listen to the latest Kendrick Lamar album and then listen to us, which is what you should totally do. Find Double Edge Double Bill on the Spotify. And if you have any yeah. other recommendations for apps for us to spread to, we definitely would want to hear it. Is there any other ones that we want to... Because we want to expand our reach, obviously. So Spotify is just one of many different avenues. Um, speaking of avenues to reach us, you can also reach us over on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. Or on our email account, which is doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. All spelled out. Um, and we have I have my own individual account at not the who's Tommy on Twitter, and you can read reviews I've written on marianitomas.wordpress.com, and you can find Adam in the dugout asking for a better water fountain. Absolutely. Or you know what? I want to do something. Oh One shit! One of our listeners, tell me what social media platform you want me to be on, and I cannot guarantee that I'll do it, but I will <laughs> listen. We just need feedback for so much, guys. That's that's one of the big You're things. Right. And you can also give us feedback at, on iTunes. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, and we will um, please make sure to rate us and put us a review in there. We'll read it on the show for sure, and it helps get us notice on the biggest platform we could be on, the iTunes. Yeah, I agree. And I'd also like to throw out there, like I said earlier, we have our um, our lineup pretty well planned for a while. But if there's a topic that you feel is wholly original that we haven't discussed or maybe other podcasts haven't discussed throw it out there we'll take a look maybe maybe it's something we can do you never know suggestions never hurt yes the suggestions suggestions all around helps us grow but that's the end of our episode for this week adam and uh it's time to hit that home runner and just win one win it big adam do it hit that ball happy birthday polly good night everybody excelsior <laughs>